Welcome to this podcast, Clearing the Haze, Making the Invisible Visible, a podcast that discusses topics that are usually invisible or just hazy. I am your host, Shachi Ipte. Please note, this podcast was recorded during the lockdown in the country with limited available resources. Therefore, the sound quality at times may not be at its best. We sincerely apologize for the same. The messages and stories shared here are definitely clear of any haze and enables inclusion for all. Our topic for today is acknowledging ability. More specifically, we will be talking to our guests from the Xavier's Resource Center for the Visually Challenged. Vision, as all of you know, is one of our five senses. Being able to see gives us tremendous access to learning about the world around us. People's faces, their expressions, play of colors, how different things look like in physical environments where we live and move, including approaching hazards or dangers in our path. Blind people or people with visual impairment can be as effective as sighted people as they have learned to use other senses and methods to learn the learning that takes place via vision for others. Despite being as effective as sighted people, they experience social exclusion. The people who cannot see beyond blindness are their biggest obstacle. Our guests today are Dr. Sam Taraporwala and Mr. Krishna Warrior, here to clear the haze by busting some myths and helping us embrace new understanding of how to include blind people in our lives. So I'm going to ask, uh, you know, uh, given that people have a misunderstanding about some of the myths um, or people do not understand what and how to be inclusive. What kind of accessibilities are required? Uh, You know, we spoke about people with visual impairment or blind people being actually independent. So to make them independent or for all of us, we need accessible equipments with us. So what are some of the things that one should keep in mind while developing accessible products? A brilliant question, and that's something we focus on a lot. Remember, we capture our world in our mind to process through our various senses. Sight is just one avenue. We can use touch, we can use the sense of hearing, smell, taste, whatever. Now, when we talk about products which are accessible, I would use the word universally designed. Mm -hmm. They should be such that a person, irrespective of uh, sensory abilities or disabilities, should be able to use it. So, for example, if I have a product which has a display, can I also have an audio feed to it? Uh, For example, today uh, in uh, the contemporary a film industry, for instance, you have audio described movies coming in, audio described tracks which come out. So yes. if I don't see a certain thing, at least I can listen to an audio description of the same. Likewise, I'm using a touch screen phone today. Uh, it would be a nightmare if that touch screen phone didn't give me an audio output. But today, thanks to screen readers and the ability to get things voiced, it becomes accessible. And hence, the idea of universal design, more importantly, the term is 
universal design but i'd rather use the word optimum design you can't meet all needs but try to meet as many needs as possible thank you so much dr sam you know a friend of mine said that if you develop your product thinking about people with different needs you will have a product that is accessible by most of them such a simple way to think about and that's exactly what you also described as optimal design rather than universal design uh, which will be very helpful for maximum number of uh, people and all of us do need some kind of accessibility whatever kind of abilities you have accessibility is a must right i'm going to ask about your program antar chakshu the eye within Uh, which is a flagship awareness and sensitization program developed by your institute can you share with us your thought behind this program and how it has been accepted by the people sure so uh, the word antar chakshu is actually a sanskrit word chakshu in sanskrit means uh, the eye and antar means within so antar chakshu would read as the eye within such a beautiful name yes thank you this uh, program was actually born out of uh, the genesis of this program is that it was born in the year 2006 out of a grassroots need uh, in st xavier's college we have students with various disabilities studying in st xavier's college uh, visual impairment learning disabilities uh, some from the autism spectrum and when some of the students when uh, they approached dr sam uh, people with visual impairment they said that we're not able to interact with as freely as we would like to with our classmates so that's where antar chakshu was born we decided that at that point we needed to have a program where we would be able to spread awareness about this condition about and bust all the myths about this condition so it mm-hmm. was born in 2006 uh, as part of a very famous college festival that st xavier hosts probably mm-hmm. you heard about it malhar it was uh, part of malhar in 2006 but very soon the organizers of malhar as well as us we realized that it had to grow out of malhar because it was uh, earning a popularity of its own and attracting a large audience of participants so uh, antarchakshu then actually took on different avatars uh, we started with antarchakshu as uh, an awareness event which used to be conducted in a large venue it was a walk through event people would walk in uh, and after an hour or two walk out of that event hopefully having a better idea about about people with visual impairment and the lives that they lead then we started getting requests from very niche audiences and so we decided to take antarchakshu to these niche audiences as a very bespoke uh, event uh, which we called antarchakshu 2.0 and we used to go to the locations rather than asking the participants to come to one location so this uh, avatar of antarchakshu which was antarchakshu 2.0 caters to smaller niche groups the principle is the same they go through a few simulated activities and then there's a discussion that follows that and the third avatar of antarchakshu happened when the pandemic began and the lockdown was imposed and uh, we had a brainstorming session at xrcvc and we said we can't stop antarchakshu it needs to go online so we decided to launch uh, an online version and very happy to share with you that we've done over 100 workshops during the lockdown online which have been received very well wow what great impact you know 100 sessions virtually and you're already on your third version of the simulated walk through this is amazing it actually makes me feel very warm and nice saying that there are so many people wanting to learn and understand more about 
what life is for a person with low visibility or visual challenges it's interesting you know given that there is one set of people who are wanting to engage and understand more i have come across another set of people where um, they hesitate allowing their quote unquote able children to mingle and join schools which are open to all children uh, how do you educate parents of these children saying that it is a good idea to let their daughters sons or other children to mingle with every kind of people that's how they become society ready don't you think so very very true and uh, yes you would have sections of the population who have this anxiety or worry that oh i don't want to expose my child to person with disability what if they become frightened or perhaps uh, could that rub on to them uh, the essential approach of any educational institution then is to not just educate the children but educate the parents and tell them that look this is what we stand for mm-hmm. we are convinced that education is an all round process and your child is going to live in society and it's far better to expose them now to disability so that they know how to negotiate the world more effectively than creating myths we are breaking myths in the minds of the child at that stage i and my brother both were educated in a school which is a mainstream school and this was many many years ago almost 50 plus years ago that we went to school and that was a time when mainstreaming was not much spoken about and yet the school took that positive stand and i'm happy to say that i think my classmates would be far better able to relate to a person with disability today thanks to this and so awareness generation among parents is also a very key element in this process and making people realize that today one is able bodied but nobody is permanently able bodied everybody is temporarily able of course thank you dr sam uh, for explaining it so simply and so e- nicely that awareness is so important for not only children but also adults and parents who can then understand why everybody should know what it takes to be you right you know what are some of the common challenges people with visual impairment face uh, in day to day life and how can we make it easier on one hand we talk about inclusion and with low awareness there are challenges which people don't know and is it correct to ask is it not correct to ask those are some questions which keep popping in people's minds so can you throw some light on that right uh, people with visual impairment face challenges just like all of us face challenges many times they are able to overcome the challenges on their own one of the biggest problems that they face is the lack of awareness in the society around us right and because of lack of awareness people make assumptions and because people make assumptions many things are not accessible to people with visual impairment that is probably the biggest challenge do they need help of course they need help mm-hmm. do you and i need help of course sometimes you and i need help as well Absolutely. right Uh, the simplest thing to do is when you meet somebody with a disability not just with visual impairment to ask two questions do you need help 
And if the answer is yes, in what way can I help you, right? If there's somebody sitting on a wheelchair and you want to help that person climb up a staircase, will you lift the wheelchair? Will you lift the person? You don't quite know what you what you should be doing, right? So it's very simple. Ask two questions. Do you need help? And in what way can I help you? Sam, would you like to add to any of the challenges that people with Definitely. In terms of creating an accessible world, yes, sometimes there are resource constraints. And at other times, there are constraints in the mind of people. So we need to address it at both levels. The mindset has to be broken through uh, legal as well as the process of awareness generation. So, for example, in the area of uh, book access, let's say, I, because I spent my time in the educational field, mm-hmm. the main challenge that anybody faces is if you want to learn, you want to study something, if your books are not there available to you in an accessible format, what do you do? So at one level, we had to contest and get the copyright amendments. And today, I'm glad to say not only does India have a law which allows for fair use for persons with disability, print disability, but also India is part of the Marrakesh Treaty. Mm-hmm. And we are able to therefore potentially share content globally. So that's one element, just one example in education. The other element about access is the whole part of making sure that you have products which are coming out, which are born accessible. And for that, one needs to lobby a lot with the various suppliers of products and services. Thank you, Dr. Sam. There are so many things that one needs to do and one needs to continue to do to make sure that everyone's lives get easier. And I like what Krishna said, ask, don't assume and ask and then ask how so that there is clarity for all as to how you can help and what really needs to be done. You know, I met a a young girl a few years ago. She was uh, working in a large organization but she had lost her eyesight due to allergic reaction to medicine. And it was not that she was born blind. For her to accept that she lost her eyesight and she is going to be challenged for the rest of her life made her go into depression. What kind of mental health and emotional well-being resources are available for them? Uh, Do the same set of doctors that treat people with normal visual are equipped to train or rather equipped to engage with people who have lost their visual later in life? Unfortunately not. And uh, I've had ophthalmic surgeons uh, tell us, well, we really don't know how to finally break the news to uh, our patients. And therefore they keep sometimes just holding out straws of hope. And that's pretty problematic. The basic thing that one needs to do in such situations is seek assistance from organizations, professional organizations. People do come to us, for instance. And one of the first things we need to help people realize is, I'm going to use this term, to see reality. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I may not be able to see, but can I see reality? And in that process, uh, we do have sessions with uh, the individual concerned, for some coming out of that period of loss or what I may call sense bereavement is perhaps a short period. For others, it takes longer, but a lot depends on 
how active the family support is also are they going to just mope and moan or are they going to say okay now this is it there are ways around it let's try to make the best of the situation so we've had people for example i we had a young boy in his 8th uh, standard the 8th mm-hmm. grade looking sight and within 2 to 3 months he had transited into effective use of a computer and today he's doing well in a western university so awesome. and whereas there could be others who would just remain behind so a lot of it is individual based there is no hard and fast rule but the idea is to make people realize that well i have to come out of this and providing pity is not going to solve the thing empathy would yes dr sam uh, there are family support and motivation to self and if we could have some counselors who could give proper guidance which would help people overcome the challenges they have faced later in life it would make so much more uh, better for everyone we also do is we provide a, a contact numbers of those who have volunteered among the the late line to also act as a type of uh, peer uh, mentoring support service that's exciting then thank you for sharing that because yes everybody would like to know somebody like them or have a role model which will help them you know overcome the challenges faster yes krishna please go ahead yes uh, shachi i once uh, met a student who had lost his uh, sight at the age of 9 due to mm-hmm. an accident he could see very well till the age of 9 and this student put it very very beautifully i will never forget what he said uh i asked him at that point you know it must have been a very very shattering experience for a 9 year old to lose your you know you lose your sight at that that age he said i had two options in front of me to cry or to try so i asked him which one did you take and he said obviously i cried right but how long can you cry you have to stop crying at some point and start trying and that stayed with me for a long time it differs from person to person Yes but if you have somebody like that you know who's telling you that cry and try it makes so much better right yes how long can you cry but you can also start trying after you have done with your crying i mean i don't think i want to tell anybody don't cry because holding your emotions back that's has essential other... that's absolutely essential yes so i'm going to uh, you know move to some other things that have come across india doesn't see what you call them as uh, guide dogs uh, can you so- throw some light on why we don't have guide dogs like what we see in the western world there are a few reasons that's a very good question shashi there are a few reasons why you won't see too many guide dogs in india i'll tell you a, f- a few of them that i can think of uh, number one is the crowds in in bangalore or in bombay or in delhi imagine get, trying to get into a local train in bombay you would face trouble where would your guide dog be right so uh, number one being the crowd public infrastructure public transport not being what it should be for for the cities that we live in and cost is another factor cost is quite a huge factor training uh, at a dog Uh, making sure that you know and 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 they don't live as long as we do so you need yes. to retrain some uh, another dog at some point and uh, another factor which uh, uh, is actually very very important what people don't realize is there are many many stray dogs in our on our street tell me about stray dogs right so if you had a guide dog and you had <laughs> uh, 
uh, a problem of stray dogs as well it just complicates things sam is there anything that you would like to uh, add to this beyond this again uh, the whole cost factor in this uh, guide dog training program itself is frightfully expensive and if uh, we could rather get people to hire cheaper labor to take people around sometimes so having a guide dog provides independence yes uh, there are many things that you both covered uh, expenditure uh, costs uh, stray dogs which i don't think many of us even give it a thought uh, saying that if i have a guide dog and a stray dog attacks the guide dog what happens to the individual there uh because a one there is what happens even to the guide dog yes absolutely the guide dog uh, is harmed and the individual is also uh, could come under harm you know it is a double whammy in many ways so i think we are better off uh, having another human being act as a guide for um, the uh, person who wants some help or who is dependent on someone else we don't have guide dogs what are some of our products which are really helpful for the visually challenged which are designed keeping them in mind can you share names of some products i mean if you're not keeping them in mind but keeping everybody in mind and the whole concept of universal design today your apple phone mm-hmm. is a brilliant case in point it caters to multiple disabilities uh, microsoft is trying to get that with its operating system your android phone has accessibility built in so it would be great to have people planning keeping in mind the fact that their clientele could have varying abilities varying levels of functionality on the other hand we still have people coming out with products that have walked into a building with an elevator which has a touch screen panel i don't know where to or the voice activation on that elevator even though it's built into the elevator is not activated so that you don't know which floor you have landed on or you have uh, sometimes uh, a, a washing machine for instance with only a touch screen interface again a night so why can't the accessibility be kept in mind while designing it's going to help everybody and remember we are also going to have a very large elderly population very soon we are not going to be as tech efficient or tech savvy as everybody else yes i know how i'm teaching my parents to make use of touchscreen phones is krishna please go ahead yeah uh, speaking about devices uh, there are some manufacturers who are extremely sensitive to the fact that uh, th- that there are people with needs that need you know for example in the in the pandemic one of the biggest uh, challenges that people with visual impairment faced was social distancing you cross a road normally by holding on to somebody's elbow right it's mm-hmm. called a sighted guide yes, technique yes. that's how you cross a road now you are being discouraged from touching anybody how do you manage to do that you are quarantining in a room where you're supposed to take your thermo- your your temperature and check your oxygen levels so there are manufacturers such you'll be very happy to hear who put out a pulse oximeter a thermometer which speaks which talks so it's a talking pulse oximeter the talking thermometer and that did help so there are a fair number of people who are sensitive to this but as sam was saying there is an equal number of people who probably don't think about this the other thing is that there are visually impaired this is not charity there's a large market out mm-hmm. there there are people who can afford it and are willing to purchase it right they're not asking for it for free 
Uh, you know, you bring a great point, uh, Krishna, when you're saying, uh, talking about these products which have been designed, uh, keeping uh, visually impaired people in mind. Are there any laws or are there any uh, product standards that uh, manufacturers can actually follow to ensure that they are complying to uh, certain standards when they are designing these products? There are norms. So for example, mm-hmm. in terms of web accessibility, the worldwide web consortium WCAG has a current standard which is 2.1 which is in the process of being further upgraded again for mobile accessibility you have mobile accessibility standards the point being that standards are there but some countries have laws India has laws but not totally implemented some other countries implement these laws more strictly where if you don't meet a certain criteria, sorry, your product will not be, for example, on the purchase list. Right. Uh, we also have laws, for example, for banking access in India. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, even today, even though the Reserve Bank of India says all ATMs have to be accessible, they are not. And therefore, you have the option of going for litigation or you need have the option of going for persuasion. And perhaps sometimes you need to do more. Great. What role do corporates play in this? You know, how much of influence do they have? What kind of uh, challenges uh, corporates are able to actually support, navigate for inclusion? It varies. Maybe as in, uh, if some of our employees see themselves as equal opportunity employers, where they look at their workforce. And they want to have a diverse pool because that actually enriches their ability to function rather than have everybody of the same mindset. And uh, you do have employees like that. You also have laws within India's government sector, which makes it mandatory to have 5% of jobs reserved for persons with disabilities. Yes, That is not so in the corporate uh, private sector. But there are some private sector companies that are employing. But again, they need to look at this as a complete career path, not as just as an entry-level job, because that can cause even more frustration. Absolutely. Thanks for um, you know sharing how organizations are doing their bit uh, to drive inclusion in the workplace. And I think what is coming clear is that if there is intention, then inclusion is possible. And if uh, intention and inclusion happens, then the wide range of people uh, can get employed and really truly live up to the expectations of diversity and inclusion, including equity. Any last thoughts on resources or advice to our uh, listeners on how they can increase their influence over being inclusive? Well, Krishna did mention the thing about asking and I would also say one more thing, uh, something I'm going to pick up a word which you used about uh, assume. Don't assume that a person with disability is either incapable or ultra excellent. Both people with disabilities are humans first and they are then persons with disability. Don't put the disability first, put the human being first. And once you do that, you're going to be setting the scene right because then you will not assume because if you assume you're going to land up in a problem 
make an S of you and me. That's A S S U M E. So that's just a simple thought. Don't assume. Thank you so much, uh, Krishna. Would you want to add something? I think Sam summed it all up. Don't make an ass of you and me. <laughs> Thank you. So, bottom line, listeners, please don't make an ass of you and me. Let's be inclusive with being intentional. Ask, don't assume. Help, ask how to help. And that's the short and the long of being inclusive. Thank you so much, Dr. Sam and Krishna, for being with us today and helping our listeners bust some myths and get inclusive. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening in. For this episode, we would like to thank our two guests, Sam Taraparwala and Krishna Vani. The Alliance Ponsies of Mumbai, Siddharth Bhatt, Cultural Coordinator, Alliance Ponsies Mumbai, the French Embassy, the French Institute, and the Alliance Ponsies Network in India for producing the show. Our special thanks to Hemant Sarang and his team for their advice and technical support. Please do subscribe and review the show available in various podcasting platforms and on the website airindia.org forward slash podcast. Listen in to the voices that are often invisible but powerful enough to clear the haze.